You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. So before we get started, we're a family. Is that an amen there? We are family. We share things. We work together. We're one on mission with Christ. Many different individuals, but one on mission with Christ. And so at this time, I'm excited to um, call Tanya forward, and she's going to share a testimony with us. You brought your tissues? Thank you. Um, I'm Tanya. Um, I guess I'm really, I don't um, know if uh, many of you know me. I, I guess you do, but this actually this testimony is um, for the manas boys. Um, I think the church here is wonderful, and I think that everyone's here basically believe more than I do in um, miracles and everything else, but I just want to see, um, there's a boy, Jehu. Hi. (laughs) Jared, I I really admire you with everything, what you do, and um, how you play drums and everything, and the boys, I guess, um, I just want to make sure I see who I talk to. There's you boys, right? And there's boy in the back and here. So um, this testimony really for you because there's two reasons. And I'm sorry, my voice is a little. Two simple reasons. There's um, the things happen in my life that um, really discourage me. Not that they don't believe in God, I do. Um, I just believe that things happen to other people. Like good things. So, and the second reason, basically, I'm not a good speaker. Um, I never come here even sometimes if I want to. But today I had to. So the reason, um, I lost my whole family. Um, My both parents, my brother, my only brother died of cancer. All of them. Women like three years. I prayed. And I asked, my brother was everything to me. He was younger, but it didn't happen. And I just didn't think that it could ever happen to me again. Um, I was always happy to hear miracles, but I always was discouraged um, when I hear something bad happening. However, so my mom died of breast cancer um, and recently, what happened is that I discovered a lump in my breast, not just a lump. It was, it's kind of embarrassing to say that. I mean, you're young boys, but it's, it's a big problem for a woman, um, especially knowing that my mom died, died of breast cancer. Um, my, my whole breast was happened the same thing what my mom had when she first discovered it. It it was big. So um, what I thought is that I start preparing for the worst. I look back on my whole life. I have two daughters to raise. I thought it's, it's not fair how it could happen, but it happened. Um, so I, I started uh, preparing for the worst. However, my husband encouraged me to read the Bible, and um, I reached out. I reached out to my friends for prayers, which is 
this is my solution that, because I don't always believe that it helps my own prayers, that I'm not good enough. Um, but in any event, I reached out, I have, I realized that what I have in my life, not just that I lost my family, but I gained other people. There are two people especially that I do believe that almost my angels, that they've been, they started praying for me a couple years ago. And it's just a regular prayer every Saturday. It comes in on my phone saying, hey, I was, I was praying for you. And which is, it does help you that, that particular maybe hour or so, you just feel good that someone's thinking about you. However, what happened in my life is that over the time, it, it built up. And um, eventually what it helped, what it did, it, it changed me. It's changing me. It, it's helping me to believe so in any event that what happened is that I went to, I went to a doctor. I called the doctor and everything started happening so fast. Um, my doctor scheduled a mammogram and uh, I went for a mammogram. At that time, people were praying for me and um, I took a Bible with me. And for the first time in my life, when the doctor, the doctor even did not come in, um, the nurse, the technician, she actually gave me a news. She said that it was a good news. They said that it's non-cancerous. They even didn't have to see me. That they said it's okay. That it's not. It's not just something happened. Like it's. It's not that it could not happen. That there was not cancer. It's just. It just couldn't have, because I had all the symptoms. The same thing like my mom did. So what I'm gonna do is that. I'm gonna read a quick one sentence from a Bible. Sorry, I can't, I see. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So it is, no matter, every time I heard the other testimonies, I did think, yes, it happens. But I did not think that that would happen to me. Boys, it would happen to you. It, life is, like my grandma, grandpa said to me when I was a little girl, he said to me, life is a river, you know, honey, it goes one way, another way, it goes up and down the hills and everything else. One time, I love water. Sometimes you go and you just can lay on the water and relax, you look at the sun, it's beautiful, you're enjoying it, but then another time, the wave comes, the, the, and everything, and you struggle, and you're struggling to fight for that grasp of air because it takes you under and you're trying to swim against the uh, current or anything like that. that. That's how it's in life. However, bad things do happen in life. You can never avoid them, but there's a solution. I just want to give you my solution. What happened, what helped me. And I'm, I would truly believe it will help you. I know you might forget it today or whatever next day, but at some point you might remember, just like I said, I remember my grandpa's words once in a while. So the solution is just pray for God to reveal to you. Until God reveals to you, no matter how many times other people say what, and um, there's that boy too, 
no matter time, no matter how many times other people say this or that, it will never become real to you until you feel it. And it might take years. I'm not that young, I'm 46 almost, so it, it takes a long time to really truly believe maybe, or to see that particular event that will happen and will change something inside of you. But there's a solution, so pray. No matter how many times, just pray. It doesn't, it's not gonna happen right away, but surround yourself with people that truly believe in him. Just surround yourself. Whoever is around you, like, you know, if there is a company, I know you have, there's certain things in your life, and if you go out and you're gonna go back to the friends that, that did the same things before and got in trouble, it's not gonna help you. So what you do is that make that choice and surround, surround yourself with people that do believe in him and ask them to pray for you. Ask them to pray and over time you will see changes. Thank you. God is on the move. That was kind of a weak amen for a very great statement. God is on the move. I'd like to dismiss the children at this time. That's the toddlers age, I think, walking through three. Is that correct? One through three. So out you go. So we're in a study in the book of Acts, and God was moving there as well, and it's an example for us of how he wants to move today. Brief review. Last week we began looking at the, the account of Cornelius, the Roman army officer, <clears throat> excuse me, and Peter the apostle. This thing had some serious, <clears throat> excuse me, this thing had some serious supernatural overtones this account between Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius and Peter were praying at the same time, on the same day, miles apart. During his prayer time, Cornelius sees an angel. Some of you have seen angels during your prayer time. It's awesome. But during Peter's prayer time, he sees a vision. And some of you have seen visions during your prayer time. During his prayer time, the angel spoke to Cornelius about Peter, that Peter has what Cornelius needs. And during Peter's prayer time, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter about Cornelius, that Cornelius needs him, and he must go to him despite the fact that Cornelius is not Jewish. So the unlikely connection is made between Cornelius, a Roman army officer, and Peter, one of the original apostles, and it's going to turn out to be life-changing for both of them. We ended last week with Cornelius, his relatives, his close friends, his household, all gathered together, waiting with bated breath for Peter to arrive. No doubt they had heard of Peter. They heard of his exploits. They heard that he was able to heal crippled people, some from birth, some for many years. They heard that he rose people from the dead. He caused people to raise from the dead. You know, just routine stuff like that. If you knew a guy like that, would you want him to come here and talk to us? They were eager to hear. Can you imagine the anticipation and the excitement in this room? Cornelius' family relatives, friends, eager to hear this message that Peter was going to bring. What could it possibly be for them? They knew one thing. They knew that this message was going to come from God, whom at this point they didn't know. They knew somewhat about this Jewish God, but they did not know him personally. So Cornelius and his household are gathered, and they're waiting in an eager anticipation, and this is where we'll pick up the story today. Ray Keck.
If you're able, make yourself up here, please. Make your way up here. I can't really bring the mic any closer to you because of the cord. You'll have to walk the distance. Will you stand with us, please? Ray's going to read scripture. Acts chapter 10, verses, I think, 34 through 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judah, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in uh, Jerusalem. They called him by hanging him on the cross. But God raised from the dead on the third day and caused him to to be seen. He was not seen by by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ray. Maybe seated. This passage is very easy to interpret. Not quite as easy to apply. We're going to try to do that, though. Title is just very simple. It's titled The Message. We want to break down Peter's message to Cornelius and his household. After all that anticipation and all that waiting, it was a three-day trip until Peter got there. They were gathered waiting. What did Peter finally have to say to them? What was the message? Well, Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. No matter what you have done, where you have been, you are no worse or no better than anyone else in God's eyes. He shows no favoritism. He has criteria of how we come to him and are accepted by him, but nobody is too far from him that he won't receive you if you follow that criteria. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Peter begins his message to Cornelius and his household with the truth that he had just learned himself. Remember this from last week? The vision of the sheet that was lowered from heaven, the clean and the unclean animals in the sheet. God told Peter to eat, but Peter wouldn't because of his Jewish dietary laws. God then said Peter should not call anything unclean that God has made clean. And of course it was referring to food. The dietary laws in Christ now were no longer in existence, But God was referring to so much more than food. He was referring to precious human souls of every tribe, every race, every tongue. Racism and bigotry and what are some of the other words? Prejudice are are so foolish when you understand who God is. How can one race look down on another race? If you know Christ... There can be no racism. 
So Peter begins his message with this new truth. Peter told them, you know, actually it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home or to associate with you. Starts off with bad news. Can you imagine the crowd that's listening? What? But it quickly turns into good news. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. This was good news for Cornelius and this crowd. Application of this particular principle. Every time I come across this teaching in Scripture, that the gospel is now in Christ and it's for Gentiles as well as Jews, I rejoice and I'm so thankful. Because unless you are Jewish, you're a Gentile. And until Christ, if you wanted to find favor with God, you would have had to become Jewish. Now he accepts us all in Christ. Every race, every tribe, every tongue. There's no one outside of his grace. Up to now, Peter's thinking was that to be saved, you needed to be Jewish or you needed to convert to Judaism. Those thousands that came to the Lord early in the book of Acts Peter's sermons, they were all Jews or converted Jews. And Cornelius and those with him, they were well aware of this Jewish teaching. But God is about to expand his kingdom far outside of Judaism to the entire Gentile world. That was always God's plan. You look closely, you'll see it in the Old Testament. But it became very evident in the New Testament. Cornelius and his family, they were going to be the premier Gentile recipients of this grace. However, it's interesting, God had to first change his messenger's mindset on this matter. God had to first teach Peter this truth, that in Christ, all mankind, all races, all people groups are justified before the Father and can access salvation. Just an interesting thought question for us. Couldn't God have just skipped these intermediary steps? Couldn't he have just done it himself? Couldn't he have just went and talked to Cornelius and his family himself? Could he have done that? I mean, he could have. Why didn't he? Why did he patiently wait for Peter to come to an understanding of this truth and then send Peter? It's a simple truth that we're not quite yet getting in the church today. He uses us. He won't work apart from us. Yes, he can. But no, he won't. Think about that. When we're saying no to God, or when we're not interested, or when we're living for other things, all of God's plans are put on hold and delayed and pushed back. Because he won't just go and do it. He's waiting on us. So he painstakingly worked with Peter, who was strongly Jewish, till he finally broke down that mindset that Peter would go and speak to a Gentile family about Christ. He works with us in that way as well, if we'll let him. There are many things. Church, hear this. There are many things God has planned for us, for you, for me, to do. To use us for kingdom purposes. To use us for his glory. But he first needs to prepare us for that. And it often, if not always, involves changing the way we think about certain things. And if there's one thing we'll resist, it's changing the way we think. And so God's Plans and purposes seem like they're taking so long to, fo- to fulfill, to un- un- unfold, and we blame him. The more we are willing to yield to his work in us, the more he can accomplish his work through us. Back to the text. So before Peter actually gives them the gospel message, he first assures them. This is very important. He first assures them that it's legitimate now for them to hear this message. Get it? 
He didn't know that a few days ago. No longer is it just for Jews. It never was, but now Peter knows no longer is it just for Jews, but Gentiles as well. He removes that concern. Before he gives them the gospel message, he removes that concern. He removes that barrier. He removes their objection. He puts their minds at ease. Then he launches into the gospel message. This is the message. It's good news. It's the gospel. Gospel means good news. That there is peace with Peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. This is the gospel message that you need to hear, Peter to Cornelius. This is the gospel message that people need to hear from us. This is the message God has for you, Peter to Cornelius. This is the message God wants us sharing. And it centers on... And it revolves completely around Jesus Christ. Peter resorts to a brief history of some recent events just to make it clear they know to whom he is referring. You know what happened. This is Peter speaking to Cornelius, his family. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism, John the Baptist. And you know what God, you know that God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the whole anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I wish we could talk about that today, but it doesn't fit this message. He healed all who were oppressed from by the devil. Jesus clearly in Scripture, time and time again, connected sickness with oppression from the devil. Connected those two things. We don't anymore. We're too scientific. We're too educated. We know that it's germs and it's viruses. Well, where do you think the germs and viruses came from? Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. That's not our message for today, though. Back to Caesarea. Caesarea is only 65 miles from Jerusalem. So no doubt Cornelius and those gathered with him were aware. They were probably very familiar with this Jesus of Nazareth and his story. Jesus may very well have visited Caesarea in his ministry travels. But the issue is, do I have your attention? The issue is, it was for them, it is for folks today. The issue is, did they or could they even make the connection between this Jesus of Nazareth and salvation, peace with God, and eternal life? Probably not. Peter is going to help them. That's why he was sent. This is the case with many in our society today. They heard of Jesus, although we know we're getting down to some generations that are so far removed from when this was a Christian nation that they haven't even heard of Jesus. Some of these younger generations have not even heard the name of Jesus. Still the large majority in our society, they have heard the name of Jesus, but they don't really understand who he truly is. See, they don't understand that eternal life is in his name. He may be not involved at all, or he may be one of many ways, but very few understand who Jesus truly is. That's whom we're living among. Cornelius and his household, they heard of Jesus. They didn't understand who he was. They didn't know him personally. They didn't know him intimately. We know him personally but the question at the end of this message is going to be, do we know him intimately? Have we taken time to get to know him, to really know him? I'm not talking about salvation at all. I'm talking about going deep in knowing him and being used of him in mighty ways to serve him, to advance his kingdom, to bring him glory. Have we spent time getting to know him? For many of us, once we had our fire insurance of salvation, we know we're not going to hell, then we just started living life, living for this world and the things of this world. 
and we got our, our insurance brochure in our back pocket. No wonder the church is so weak. No wonder evil is having a heyday in our nation. Are you hearing me? Back to verse 36 again. This is the message of good news, the gospel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. I want to emphasize that last phrase first, Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Peter cuts right to the chase. This Jesus of Nazareth, you know his story. It happened 65 miles from here. He may even have been here. He's Lord. He's deity. In other words, he is God himself. Make no mistake about that. Can you see the expressions on their faces? This Jesus, is that God? Especially Cornelius that I've been praying to and I've been giving generously in his name. See, our passage doesn't say this. Doesn't say that Peter gave them any scripture to, to support this, but we're going to find scripture to support it for our own sakes because this is one of the most common breakdowns in faith. It's one of the most common errors in theology that Jesus was a good man or he was this or he was that, but he wasn't God. That's a huge error. By the way, every cult, without question, no exception, every cult and every false, false religion errs on this point, the deity of Christ. They have another explanation of who Jesus is. So we're going to look at some scriptures to convince ourselves. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, but not the whole passage. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. The Word, of course, refers to Jesus of Nazareth, who is God himself. He left heaven's glory to become one of us, to become a human being, for the purpose that he would die for our sins and set us free from the curse of sin. One of his big biblical names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is that Jesus of Nazareth. John 10.30, Jesus speaking, the Father and I are one. Some versions, I and the Father are one. I like that better for some reason, but I and the Father are one. That's fairly clear, wouldn't you say? God the Father and Jesus the Son are one, one essence, one being. Three different persons. That's why when Philip said to Jesus, just cut to the chase and show us the Father. You're always talking about the Father. Show us the Father. Does anybody know Jesus' reply? Yeah. He told Philip, have I been with you this long and you still don't know me? Don't you recognize me? The Father is in me and I am in the Father. We are one. Philippians 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, and then it goes on to say something about the attitude, though he was God. All through Scripture, these verses and many others, convincing proof, Scripture declares that Jesus of Nazareth is God come in the flesh. Back again to verse 36. This is the message of good news, the gospel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Lord of all, Peter uses that as a very specific reference now. Lord of the Jews, Lord of the Gentiles. He speaks that for their sakes. He's Lord of all. But the second, effort, the second emphasis in this verse is that through Jesus, man can have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. You don't just get peace with God. There's nothing in you or me that can bring about peace with God. There's nothing that can earn it. There's nothing that can merit it. If you're wealthy, there's nothing that can buy it. If you're educated, there's nothing that you can figure out how to get peace with God. It comes through one channel. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Faith in him. He died so that we could have peace with God. 
too much theology to go into that. Just know that. This is what Cornelius and the others were looking for, evidenced by their praying and by their good works. They wanted favor. They wanted peace. They wanted reconciliation with this God. They were sincere folks. Many folks are sincere out there, but not trying to be funny, they're sincerely wrong. And they're looking sincerely in wrong places. Cornelius and his family knew inherently that what they were doing wasn't quite enough. Something wasn't right. But they didn't realize the sin problem. Gentiles weren't aware of the sin problem. That came through the Jewish teachings. They didn't realize that sin in the human race and their own sin blocks peace with God and fellowship with God. Whenever you begin to feel a little shaky in your relationship, where did God get to? First thing is check where you're at. I got two questions that we can always ask ourselves. Am I doing something that I shouldn't be doing? Because that will block fellowship with God. That will block intimacy with God. And the second question is, is there something that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing? That also is sin. And that will block fellowship with God. And we'll begin to lose our peace. Not our salvation, but we'll begin to lose our peace. One of the ways God lets us know that there's a sin problem and we need to get out of it is he begins to withdraw some of his peace and some of his favor and some of his blessing. It's not punitive. It's to get our attention so that we say, what's going on here? And we come to God. And then when we discover their sin, we say, Lord, return me to my first love. Restore me to the joy of my salvation. I confess my sin and I forsake it. You still with me? Cornelius and his family were trying to rectify this matter of being out of fellowship with God through sin by their own efforts, by their own good works, doing the best they could. Many people we know are in that boat. But the issue is peace, reconciliation, righteousness, and relationship with God comes only through faith in Jesus Christ, not through any effort on man's part, through no good works. You can never find favor, peace, reconciliation, relationship with God just through good works. Peter understood they were looking for peace with God, and he had good news. Peace with God is available. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and it's now available to you Gentiles. Further look at this. Colossians chapter 1. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ... And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. This includes you who were once far away from God, Gentiles. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. God was in Christ, and through Christ's death, he was making a way for mankind to be made right with him, to be reconciled, to have peace. And until you come into that relationship, you're not going to know peace. I'm saved 41 years. And I was just thinking about this this morning or yesterday. I'm not sure what happened, but it flipped me back to the days before. It was a song, I think. Flipped me back to the days before I knew Christ. And I had that feeling of lostness come over me. And it reminded me, I never want to live in that again. You think you know peace you think you're okay, but if you don't know Christ, you have no idea. You have no clue how good it can actually be. You'll never want to go back there. 41 years, I can remember it like it was yesterday, and I do not want to go back there ever. That's a great deterrent to sin. This includes you who are once far away is a direct reference to Gentiles. Peter always tailored his message to the folks he was talking to. He was brilliant at that, or should I say the Holy Spirit is brilliant at that. All mankind was lost and without hope in the world because of sin. 
God made a way to redeem and reconcile lost, sinful mankind. It's in Jesus, and it's only in Jesus. There's another thing you will hear out in society. Well, Jesus is a good guy, and that's great if that's for you, but there's many ways. There's many ways for salvation. There's many ways to get to heaven. My brother always used to argue with me after I got saved that this deal is like trying to get to the top of a mountain. Life is like trying to get to the top of the mountain. And there's many ways up there, and it doesn't matter which way you take as long as you reach the top. Baloney. You're going to be sorely disappointed when you get to the top if you went any other way than through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Is that clear enough? This is the crooks of the message that Peter brought to Cornelius, his family, and his friends. It's called the gospel. It's called good news. It brings great hope. It brings great joy. It brings great meaning to life that is otherwise meaningless. Back to our text. And this next part is where our, where our application will come from. As I said, the interpretation of this Scripture, the things I've been saying, that's easy. That's what it says. How do we apply this? Something we can grasp and we can live with. And it may, might be a little different than what you think it's going to be. Next slide. So now Peter starts to say, we are witnesses of all that he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear... Not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. Peter now wants them to know that what he is saying to them is not hearsay. After he was crucified, died, and resurrected, he appeared to us, Peter and his companions, alive. Not a spirit. Not a force. What's that? May the force be with you. Whatever that is. Not a force, but Jesus of Nazareth in his glorified human body appeared to them. So it's nobody else. It's not, it's not an imposter. It's not a demon masquerading. Peter and his contemporaries, followers, disciples of, of Jesus, they were eyewitnesses. He rose from the dead. He is alive. And here's the important part. They interacted with him. Now you say, well, sure, yeah, that was, that was them back then. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. He's actually within us. He wants us interacting with him. He wants us to know him intimately. Honestly, it's going to seem so far-fetched, but... He wants you to know him. He wants me to know him as real as the person sitting next to you. Amen. I'm guessing the atmosphere was getting pretty intense as Peter addressed this crowd, not in a bad way. Next slide. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. Peter continues his eyewitness account. This is not hearsay. We didn't get this story. We didn't read it in a book. We didn't, somebody didn't come into town and tell us about this. We were there. We ate and drank with him after he died. The eating and the drinking is significant just for this, theologically. It's evidence that Jesus' resurrection was a bodily resurrection. Not a force, not a spirit. Post-resurrection, the reason we need to know that is it was important because Cornelius and his household, they didn't know Jesus in the flesh. They had no interaction with him then, before he was crucified and died. But Peter's telling them, now, after he's already dead, now you can have interaction with him. That's very important. 
Because the same is true for us. Peter goes on to say, he gave us an assignment actually after he died, was buried, and rose again. He gave us an assignment that as eyewitnesses, he ordered us to tell everyone everywhere about him. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In speaking with Cornelius, those who were gathered, Peter was fulfilling this order, this assignment, as he so often did, continuously, as a matter of fact. Can I remind you, this is our assignment as well. If you're not sleeping, would you say amen? amen? This is our assignment as well. This is still the church age. What was true for them is true for us. He ordered them to tell others about him. Those are our orders also. That hasn't changed. We just don't fulfill it like they do. Did. We have our marching orders. What's it going to look like, I wonder? I'm speaking to myself and us. What's it going to look like when we finally come into that? And I will bet you there will not be huge gaps in these pews that are empty. I want to stop here, pick up the story again next week, which is going to be the result of Peter's message, what happens with Cornelius and his family. But I want to make final application here. So we'll look at verse 43, which Ray read, but we'll look at that next week with that next passage. So for application, we are those, we were those, Peter said, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What struck me for application, interpretation is easy. What could be the application? That's where I spent most of my time in prayer with the Lord. What can be the application for us other than just telling this story that happened? And what struck me for application is they intimately knew the resurrected Christ. They knew Jesus after he rose from the dead. He was very real to them. There are many post-biblical testimonies, not just in the book of Acts, after the Bible was completed. There are many post-biblical testimonies down through the centuries of believers who knew Jesus intimately in a very real way, more than most of us could even imagine. But that's what God wants to do. God wants to grant us experiences with himself that right now, to think about it, would blow our minds. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I have so much that I want to teach you. I have so much that I want to show you, but you can't receive it right now. There has to be some growth. There has to be some changes in our thinking. For many of us, there has to be some obedience. And then we'll begin to come into those experiences that God has for us. That's going to make life extremely exciting. I believe it as sure as I'm standing here. I have believed it for 41 years, and I believe it more strongly now than ever. I see by some of your faces, you're, eh, eh. well, we'll let that between you and God. We'll let him convince you. He's convinced me. We'll let him convince you. Jeremiah 29, 13 if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Let's take a word out of there. If you would look for me, you will find me. That's the way most of us are. If you look for me, you'll find me. That's not going to cut it. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I love the versions that say, if you will seek me with your whole heart, you will be found of me. A.W. Tozer has a book called God Tells the Man Who Cares. And in it, he says, we can have as much of God as we want. God will never stop any one of you. I know your, some of your past. I know my own past. I know what some of your presents are. I know my own presence. But I'm here to tell you, God will never stop you from coming close to him. We will stop before he'll ever stop us. The problem is we don't put in the effort to seek him. We're so caught up with life. And the things of life. Not gross sin. In this church, very little gross sin. Just the stuff of life has us occupied. 
and we're not seeking him. Therefore, we're not finding him. We have our salvation. That's great. And we have smattering of experiences with him, but we're not in any way experiencing the level that he wants us to experience him. Man, can I, can I get some enthusiasm on that? Maybe that's why we're not, because we're not really enthusiastic about it. We don't really care. See, God tells the man who God tells the man who cares. If you don't care, then don't expect God to tell you anything. You know, I never hear God speak to me. How much time do you spend seeking him? Well, I read my daily bread once in a while. Closing verse, 1 John chapter 1. Verses that just seem, when you first read them as a new Christian, like, what in the world? But here's John speaking to believers of his day in general. Now, these are believers that didn't know Jesus in the flesh. So this has to be talking about the post-resurrection Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and we have seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. And we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, present tense, post-resurrection. Many years later, John was writing to believers in general, not a particular group. And he was saying, we had intimate fellowship with Jesus after he rose from the dead. You can too. Intimate fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. My own opinion this has to refer to Jesus after the resurrection. Otherwise, it can't mean anything to his hearers. It can't mean anything to us. How can we have the fellowship they had with him if it was before the resurrection? We didn't live back then, and he's not alive physically now. What else can it Earthly speaking, Jesus was long gone. He is long gone. How could they possibly have fellowship with him in that sense? How can we? Here's the significance. One of the things that God has been wanting to do with the church today, with this church, is make himself more real to us. Why? Well, for one reason, it's good for us. And that's usually what our first thought is, what's in it for me. That's our frame of reference. Well, there is a lot in it for us. It, it's great. It's good to have intimate fellowship with him. There's nothing like it. But, man, it goes so much further than that. It's because we're much more apt to talk about something or someone that we know personally and intimately. We're more apt to talk and speak about something we've experienced rather than something abstract. Tanya made that very clear in her testimony. I, I heard other people say this, and I, I kind of believed it. But, you know, she never came up and gave that testimony before. But once she experienced it, now it's a whole different ballgame. Now it's real. Right, Tanya? Now it's real to her. God is powerful. His unequaled greatness. He can heal cancer. The more we know him, the more we experience him, the less abstract he becomes as somebody 93 million miles away up beyond the sun. The more we know him in our personal lives, the more we're going to talk about him, the more we're going to tell other people about him, the more we're going to see him move powerfully through us. Jesus does not want to be an abstract figure in our lives. Someone that we talk about because he lived 2,000 years ago and he was a good guy. But nothing that we can really give people for today. See, that's the problem with some of these passages in Acts and in the Scripture. It was true back then. We're not experiencing it today. How do you preach it? It's a challenge for pastors. How do you preach it? We have no frame of reference for it. People getting out of wheelchairs, people coming back from the dead. But when Jesus is taken out of that abstractness and he becomes real, those things become very real possibilities. And it's not just for us to experience the sensational. It's because he's glorified in that and people will be drawn to him. That's the reason. It's, it's about us, but it's really not about us at all. 
Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Will you open the door and let me in? For most of us, this is not an invitation to salvation. That was settled long ago. This is an invitation to intimate fellowship and effective service with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we worship him, will you let him in? He's standing at the door of our hearts and he's knocking. Not in a salvation sense, but he wants an intimate relationship with us. Dan, will you come and pray? We'll stand as Dan prays. Band will come forward. So if you just kind of wait till there's a good settledness and then you can pray. Thanks, Dan. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Not only the Father, but the Son and the Holy Spirit as well. Lord, there are so many things to pray about right now. And you know what all the issues are, Lord. We have Afghanistan, the people and their safety, not just Americans, but every life. So Lord, thank you for protecting them as they go throughout their day and try to get out of the out of harm's way. One other thing today, Lord, just in a couple hours, if that Louisiana is going to get hit hard by a hurricane. Please protect all those people. You can easily just wave your hand, Lord, and it'll be done. It'll be over. Lord, I just ask that you protect them all, those who fled, those who stayed. Because all of your people are precious, Lord. Lord, we thank Tanya for that wonderful testimony that, that she gave. It just shows you the power of prayer. It just shows you the power that you have. But also the power that we have. That you have given to us, Lord. Because you said we could do things that Jesus did on this earth and even better and even more powerful, Lord. So we lift you up. We glorify you, Lord. We ask for that power. We ask for that acceptance. We ask for that uh, thoughtfulness that you give and that love that you give to so many people. Let us love each other for who they are, not for what you think they should be. Lord, thank you so much for each and every person here today. There's a reason they're here today, Lord. There's a reason they've been moved. So thank you, Lord, for each and every person and their role here at CCF. There are so many things, Lord, that need to be prayed about. And each person's going to pray about their own, their own item that's on their mind that you had given to them. So we ask you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forgive us of our sins as we repent. Protect us as we go throughout each and every day. We raise our hand to you to glorify you, Lord. Thank you for everything you do. We ask this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.